Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Connor Washington to my David McGoldrick. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Just thought I'd open the show by making Justin miserable about the state of his beloved Derby County. Oh, Justin, how are we? Miserable now, apparently. Yeah, that was uh, that was a rough one. It sort of reminded me of how slow recruitment has been. And, uh, and it's, it's only because you were texting me the other day about Jordan Rhodes and how you were really, really <laughs> annoyed about that potential signing. Oh, yeah, if we're being honest, he's a bit of a downgrade on David McGoldrick, isn't he? Uh, in League One, he doesn't possess the individual qualities that McGoldrick does. Rhodes can't win games on his own, McGoldrick can. That's where I was coming from before Huddersfield fans swarm on me and tell me he's the best thing ever, or Blackburn fans, anyone who wants to uh, defend him. I'm not sure Huddersfield fans are going to be defending him after no, his last not. two seasons. Scored <laughs> a couple of important goals, but he, he does. He, you are right, aren't you? He's... He, his best days are well behind him, and if you're asking Plenty him hell. to, <laughs> put it politely, it, it is. And if you're asking him to spearhead a League One promotion campaign, maybe there are better alternatives out there for better, maybe for better prices as well, better better salaries. My argument was that if he's dropping down to League One, then maybe that may reinvigorate him a bit because it's you know a lower standard. And let's be honest, League One in certain certain parts is looking pretty weak, isn't it? It is, but he's 33. He's he's very much a poacher. He doesn't have the uh, the, the pace you need. The he's not really dominant in the air either. Um, Justin, let's be honest. He, he's never really offered much, has he? Apart from goals and exactly. So apart from that three-year spell at Blackburn, he's not really done too much else. And this is what my argument was a couple of weeks ago. That was so disgraceful that <laughs> I had people knock not knocking on my door but you know what I mean it's kind of say angry you know with the with their pitchforks angry at me for not having Jordan Hyde or angry at us for not having Jordan Rhodes higher in our top 20 list of championship players but alas here we are talking about Jordan Rhodes potentially signing for Derby which is completely irrelevant exactly because if you want to listen to League One chat, you're in the wrong place, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This is part two of us going through each championship side and each picking a key player for them next season. It's not necessarily someone we think is going to be their best player next season. It might be someone who could make next season their breakout year or someone who's just crucial to their their team's chances next season. So part one came out on Thursday. That's where we went through Birmingham to Millwall. In this episode, we're going through Norwich to West Brom. So without further ado, Justin, let's start off with Norwich City. Who have you got? I've got with Kenny McLean, and it's very much a a player who I think is going to be important to how Norwich function next season, especially under David Wagner. It was hard to gauge, hard to pick out a player who I think was going to be you know, the most important. So I've gone with Kenny McLean. If Wagner's going to set up how he sets his teams up, a rigid 4-2-3-1, then he's going to have that double pivot and Kenny McLean's going to play a huge role in that. I think Norwich's form dropped considerably when he started to miss games towards the end of the season. And as I say, he'll definitely be important in that pivot. And whilst his stats aren't outstanding, he's not a, an incredible passer. He's defensively, he's not, you know, like he's not like the Christian Bielik where he's, you know, winning balls and intercepting uh, passes and getting the team back up again. His experience is going to play a huge role. Stats are okay, his numbers are okay, but they're not amongst the best in the league. But I think his his involvement is going to really allow the likes of Gabriel Sara, for example, to, to, to thrive. Um, especially if you've got someone like Boyer Sands injured. He maybe would have been my pick considering his, his productivity in the final third last season. Um, but as I say, McLean's experience that that onus on putting an experienced spine in place by Stuart Webber and David Wagner has been a key factor in Norwich Norwich's recruitment uh, this summer. The likes of Ashley Barnes and Shane Duffy coming in, and Kenny McLean. Kenny McLean's going to f- put the final piece of that puzzle together. And as I say, his, his ability to anchor for Norwich is in, in the field is, is going to make their strong uh, uh, spine strong, going to give the leadership element, and he is a pretty decent player as well. No, I'm not. I'm not too sure about Kenny McLean. I think when I, when I was looking at Norwich, there were other players who definitely stood out for me more like Gabriel Sara. I was even mm-hmm. close to picking Marcelino Nunes just because he didn't have a great first season, but he definitely showed signs of a good player. I'm not even completely sure Kenny McLean's going to start every game, Justin. 
who else is there to to start in that double pivot in that midfield? If you look at his his qualities, I'm not saying he's good as Aaron Moy was when he was at Huddersfield, but he's going to play a similar role where he's going to be that deep lying midfielder, going to pick the ball up off the defence, get it into those wide areas who are going to hurt hurt opposition. So, for me, I think McLean's you know, th- those abilities are going to be really important, but also his his leadership as well because, as I say, who else is going to put is going to be put in there. It's his, it's his leadership and his experience, really, let's, let's put it in for me. Mm. Well, I've looked a bit further up the pitch and I've gone for Josh Sargent. Now, after Norwich's very disappointing end to the season, it's quite easy to forget how good Josh Sargent was at one point. Scored eight goals in their first 15 games and was one of the top goal scorers in the division, maybe even the top goal scorer at one point. But then he only managed five goals for the remainder of the season and simply wasn't playing particularly well. The issue is he showed how good he can be in those first 15 games. So we know there's a very good player in there, works his socks off as well. So should be the ideal David Wagner player, really. I think Norwich need Sargent to have a good season as well. That front line isn't looking outstanding at the time of recording the Ashley Barnes signing I'm not a fan of I've made that very clear and he's not a goal scorer anyway new signing Boya Sainz is going to miss the first couple of months of the season at least Onel Hernandez isn't prolific in terms of goals and assists Adam Eder has flattered to deceive so far in his Norwich career so if Sargent doesn't have a good season this could be a difficult year for Norwich because I'm not really sure where else the goals are going to come from? You could say Gabriel Sara, I suppose, but you need more than just him chipping in every you know, three or four games or however many. You need someone like Sargent to be a regular source of goals. And if he's not, Norwich could be in a bit of a pickle. I think as well that's going to maybe push him higher in terms of his output is, this is a strange one, his, his place in the US starting 11 is probably under threat given that following Balogun's now now um, declared for the US and, and, and played a handful of games. So he's, he's going to really need to pick up his form if he's going to be com- competing with, with Balogun because he's, he's a very highly rated player in the US. Crazily high, highly rated, to be honest with you. But yeah, completely agree with you. I think Sargent's got to got to step up next season and, and, and be the, the team Upuki, if you like. I don't think he's got those similar qualities, but he's certainly got the potential. Let's go to the next club, which is Plymouth Argyle, the new boys in the championship. And I've gone for someone who's a new boy in his in himself, but a familiar face at Home Park. That's Morgan Whitaker. The fact Plymouth managed to get Morgan Whitaker for around a million pounds, according to reports, is simply daylight robbery. <laughs> this lad is such a talent. Nine goals, seven assists in the first half of the season for Plymouth. A goal contribution every 108 minutes. Then he got recalled by Swansea, where I'm surprised he didn't play more, really. He only started two games, and considering who he was up against as well, he really should have had more of a more of a go, in my opinion. They clearly just never fancied him, but it's their loss and Plymouth's gain for a 22-year-old to be playing as well as he did in League One. I think he was actually 21 at the time. Imagine how much interest there would have been if he stayed for mm. the whole season and was actually owned by Plymouth then. It's bonkers, really. So an excellent signing. Hopefully we'll see the form from him that we saw last season because if we do... He's going to be really exciting to watch next season in the championship. I'm looking forward to, to seeing him. Um, I think it's peak Swansea to keep a player uh, that doesn't want to be there at the club for several months, not play them and completely diminish their value. It's happened in three transfer windows in a row. Jamie and Patterson, for Michael, and then selling for peanuts. Obafemi, Jamie Patterson's another one and obviously now Morgan Whitaker. So yeah, it's a strange one. I completely agree with you. I'm really excited to see how he progresses because he was brilliant last season for Plymouth. He really was fantastic. He was probably the leading player in League One last season until he was recalled and Plymouth didn't derail either they kept going so that's credit to Schumacher and, and them as well but for me I've gone with slightly different I've gone with it maybe an easy one I think Mike Cooper the goalkeeper is, is is one of those players who I think is going to be really really important for Plymouth next season I know he's injured I know he, he, he picked up an ACL injury but there's there was murmurs of him 
returning for the start of the season. Whether that's going to be the case, I, I don't know. I don't know how his recovery is going, but if he does end up getting back in before Christmas, he's still going to play a huge role in, in ensuring Plymouth meet their objectives, whatever they may be. He was one of the top-performing goalkeepers last season in, in League One up until his injury, and he was the highest when it came to winning points based on his impact in goal in the league, that is, for, for, for goalkeepers. Plymouth will concede chances next season. They're going to be up against better quality individuals, so naturally the goalkeeper's going to need to be in tip-top form. And I think, yeah, Mike Cooper last season, for my money, was, was the best keeper up until February, up until his injury. And it was a shame that he didn't get to, to carry on and see it through. But he's clearly got quality, and I think a good season for Plymouth in the Championship, or a good half-season for Plymouth in the Championship, is only going to increase his value. So Plymouth are going to have, along with Morgan Winter, quite a few assets on their hands come the end of this season. Yeah, I've been reading what plenty of Plymouth journalists and fans have been saying, and it's a bit strange, really, for a team who was so good in League One last season for one of the most highly regarded players last season to be the goalkeeper. That doesn't really happen in a promotion side, mm. does it? So, I mean, he's definitely going to be more important next season when Plymouth are going to be on the back foot more than they were last season. So, yeah, I'm definitely interested to see why he's so highly rated. Well, but looking at him from a statistical point of view, you're very right, Justin. He was one of the best performing goalkeepers in League One last season. Let's go to Preston, Justin. Who you got? Go with Ben Whiteman. As far as defensive midfielders go, and I don't know why I was surprised, but his numbers were exceptionally good. They were really good. I know he had a good season, but I didn't I didn't realise it was as good as that, especially from a defensive point of view. He was one of the best players when it came to interceptions, blocks and clearances, which means as a, as a shield in front of that back three, he was doing his job incredibly well. He's not there to be a passer, but he certainly allows others to thrive, which is, what, which is why I think partly why Rhino's not been able to quite tap into the potential of this pressing team because I think the back the back line of it is is in tip-top shape they do a very good job in ensuring re, you know chances are reduced it's just getting the, the front end of it working more effectively and I think the likes of Ben Whiteman are really really important to that so I don't think we'll quite see the best of Ryan Lowe's team until better attacking players are involved but he's certainly with Ben Whiteman breaking up the play that being a significant skill for him and, and giving it those players to to hurt opposition in the final third, he's going to have a massive impact next season. And, and I say, in my opinion, Whiteman's one of the best players in this present squad. He's, he sticks out like a sore thumb in terms of his, his quality in, 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 in the whole division. I mean, usually sticking out like a sore thumb is a negative thing, but I, I see your point. Um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of Ben Whiteman as well. I think he is a really, really good defensive midfielder. Um and will be very important again to Preston's chances next season. He's been one of the more underrated players in the division over the past mm -hmm. couple of seasons and will probably continue to be the case just because he's not a headline grabber at all, is he? I've gone for another another new signing pick for me. I've gone for Mads Frokjaja Jensen, who's just come in from Denmark. Um, Preston claim they've signed him for a significant undisclosed fee. Clubs often like to overcompensate <laughs> when they say things like that. So how big is it? Only they actually know. But Preston don't spend much money on transfer fees. And so this should be seen as an interesting move at the very least. He played the vast majority of games for Odense in Denmark last season as they finished eighth. Actually ended up being their joint top goal scorer, which is quite impressive for a number 10. That goal scoring touch will be very welcome considering Preston's forward line isn't looking the most convincing at the time of speaking but you look over the years I mean ultimately Preston needed a new number 10 after the departure of Daniel Johnson he has been quite uh, prolific in his own right hasn't he from that number 10 position um, so Rokai Ensign will need to chip in with his fair share of goals as well how will he actually do who knows there isn't much to judge him off other than YouTube compilations so I will say, though, as far as new signings go, I'm he, he's one of the ones I'm most interested to watch mm. next season and see how he gets on because, as I say, Preston don't fork out money very often. So when they, when they do, he's certainly one to pique the curiosity of a championship follower like myself. 
Preston need quality in the final third and if he's offered that in another league and it's certainly the possibility of him doing so over here Brentford did a really good job in recruiting from Denmark so that's a very good indicator that there is a really good talent pool over there so if Preston I've identified um, Jensen for those reasons then, then certainly you can, you can have a go I think Emil Reese Jakobsen obviously I know he came through at Derby originally but he did very well in Denmark and he came over took a while to get going but has had a couple of solid seasons up until his ACL injury. So certainly quality to be picked up there. And if it means it's cheaper for Preston to recruit from 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 that way, then they should carry on doing it if they keep having success. Well, is it cheaper, Justin? Significant undisclosed fee. They could have forked out tens yeah. of millions for all we know. <laughs> but a significant undisclosed fee for me is a lot lower than a significant undisclosed fee for you, for example, because you like to live the high life. I'm a little bit more prudent with my money. You know what I mean? Do I like to live the high life? I like to <laughs> I'm getting towards, you know, my middle age at this point. Yeah, I suppose can't afford a haircut, so maybe that maybe that's not the case. Disgusting. <laughs> what a cheap blow <laughs> on a nice podcast like this. Let's go to QPR, Justin. Who have you got? I've gone with Lyndon Dykes. Now, the reason why I've gone with Lyndon Dykes is very, very easy. Gareth Ainsworth's style of play doesn't work without a target man. Simple as that. Adi uh, Akinfenwa, Ikpiatsu, Sam Vokes, they've all played significant roles in Wickham sides in previous years. Dykes will do exactly the same for uh, for QPR. Having watched Wickham last season against Derby while Gareth Ains was, was still in charge, Vokes would pivot to the left-back, wait for the long ball, and midfielders would then swarm around the, the loose knock. It's a very easy style of play. It was effective, bit bland for me, but it was very effective. It upset Derby massively. But you could see what he was trying to get out of the team and you could see what he was trying to get out of it. Last year, Chris Martin, Lyndon Dykes was still coming back from, I think it was pneumonia, wasn't it? So he wasn't quite up to speed in that in that final third of the season. But considering he averaged uh, 5.74 headers one per 90 last season, one of the highest in the league, goal scoring wise, he could be better. But you can see exactly what he can bring in terms of what Gareth Ainsworth wants from this style of play. Ball's going to be pumped into him. He's going to knock it down. Player's going to get around it. Simple as that. No one can do it in that QPR team apart from him, unless you put a centre-half up there. But that's not going to work, is it? I, I can tell you one thing. Lyndon Dykes is going to have the sorest head in the division by the end of the season because <laughs> he he, he's going to be heading a lot of balls next season. Lyndon Dykes is a bit of a funny one because ever since he joined QPR, what was it, two or three seasons ago now? He's been there for a while, hasn't he? Mm. I've always thought at some point he's just going to click and it's not really happened so far. No. Maybe under Ainsworth, we may see better. Um, I'm not sure we will. Um, but yeah, he, he's without a doubt so important to how QPR want to play because basically their game plan is hoof it up to Lyndon Dykes. It's as simple as that, isn't it? And they don't really have any other options in that regard. Um, I've gone for Sam Field in midfield. Look, let's be frank. Queen's Park Rangers aren't in a great position heading into the new season. They were terrible at the end of last season. Key players have gone out the door. Others may still go. And then some very good players may struggle in a Gareth Ainsworth system. If they're going to stay up next season, they'll be relying on some key players to have really good seasons. And Sam Field is one of them. I thought he was their best player last season. Even when they were playing terribly, under Ainsworth, Field was one of the only ones still to be playing at an acceptable level. As far as ball-winning midfielders go, he's very good. Doesn't offer much else to a team, but he's very good at being that midfield destroyer. And let's be frank, it's not going to be very pretty watching QPR games next season. So when it does get a bit ugly, he'll be really important to their chances of getting results because... He's very good at winning the ball in midfield. I do like Samfield a lot. I think he's got a lot of quality. And again, like Ben Whiteman, probably another player who's gone under the radar. He's been he's been underrated because again, if if I'm a high pressing team or wanting to deploy a high pressing style of player, you know, want the likes of Ben Whiteman and Samfield in your team because they go out and they win the ball, they break up play, they give it to those players who are more technical, who are going to hurt opposition in the final third. And Samfield's got that in abundance. Going to need to do a lot of that next season for QPR because they're not going to want to have the ball very often again under this Ainsworth style of play. Next up is Rotherham United, where I've gone for Jordan Hugill. Now, I don't know about you, Justin. I sat, uh, I sat down the other day and said to myself, let's go through each championship side and 
kind of rank each section of their squad as we prepare to do our league table predictions in a week's time. I looked at Rotherham's current squad and whoa, I, 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 they are a bit thin on the ground, aren't they? I, I know they lost some key players this summer, but yikes, um, Rotherham need to do some recruiting before the window closes and, and a bit. Um, Still got a way to go, haven't they? But I mean, I was slightly alarmed about how thick their squad is if we're putting a positive spin on it and the amount of quality that's in it as well. Not a great position to be in when Jordan Hugel is one of your standout players. Now, I say that partly in jest. He is sometimes a bit of a joke figure for us in T. Is he championship standard? Maybe just. But Look, he scored some important goals for Rotherham last season. His physicality will be important for them as well. They need him to have quite a special season because, I mean, it's a bit of an ask for someone who's only managed double figures once in his last five full championship seasons, but they could really do with him doing that this season. I'm not saying get Alexander Mitrovic numbers or, you know, anything too drastic just double figures will be a massive help for Rotherham because they're going to be fighting to stay up again next season I think everyone's expecting that and if you get a striker who gets you double figures in a season that's great um, can Jordan Hugo do that who knows because as I say he's not managed it in recent seasons but considering the squad is pretty thin on the ground in terms of quality that will be a massive help I think Hugo's previous two seasons, he's been out on loan in the first half of the season at a promotion-chasing club. Really, really struggled at those clubs. I know Norwich doesn't really count because he was already there, but West Brom, Norwich, both chasing promotion, struggled, goes out on loan to team uh, fighting off relegation, does very, very well. It's, it's a strange strange career to have. He's almost like the, the, the striking equivalent of Tony Pulis, isn't he? He's a firefighter. You need him in those situations um, when you're down there. He's a good physical outlet. Uh, as well I know he's got a lot of qualities and I think Rotherham will play to them but you are right they need a lot more quality around him as you very discreetly (laughs) uh, emphasised so and I think for that reason actually it probably emphasises how uh, it alludes to the fact how important Victor Johansson is going to be next season if their squad is as thin on quality as it is come the end of the transfer window Victor Johansson is going to be a very very busy boy he was the best keeper in the league last season by far. Just looking at his numbers again, still astounds me. He faced 211 shots on target last season and boasted a save percentage of 75.4, which was the third highest. And the two that were above him, Matt Ingram and Arjunad Muric, he faced way more shots than both of them. He made 157 saves, which again is the highest in the league. It just, it that won't change for me about him being the best goalkeeper in the league. And I think he's, trajectory he showed it uh, in the season that Rotherham were relegated some of the saves he was making were incredible uh, and then last uh, in the in the league one promotion campaign again he was very very good and then last season he was just outstandingly incredible so many superlatives to throw him he's going to need to be on tip-top form again if, if Rotherham are going to be um, pushing away from the bottom three and certainly like I say if, if, if he's good if they're going to concede chances they're going to be confident that yeah the, the Viking are going to going to keep them out yeah I rate Victor Johansson incredibly highly I think he's a really top goalkeeper I'm surprised more clubs haven't been in for him to be quite honest because as far as Middlesbrough for example goes, sorry Middlesbrough for example could have you know thrown a bit of cash in um, if they were willing to I'm, I'm not sure I think the one thing that holds Victor Johansson back is his distribution with his feet and when you look at Zach Steffen last season, his distribution from yeah. his feet was so important to how Middlesbrough want to play. And I don't think Victor Hansen particularly suits that. But as far as shot stoppers go, you won't get much better than him. I think Millwall would have been a good shout, really, considering it's not incredibly important how you play out with your feet at Millwall. But shot stopping, you know, he's, he's he was the best last season, Monty, to be mm. completely frank about it. Hence why he was in our goalkeeper. Uh, hence why he was in our team of the season as the goalkeeper. Speaking of which, Sheffield Wednesday is the next club. And I've gone for Cameron Dawson as their key player. Now, 
as we speak, Sheffield Wednesday are looking very weak at the back. They sorely need to strengthen there before the transfer window closes. They possibly may even need to add another goalkeeper. But as things stand, it looks like it will be Cameron Dawson between the sticks. Is he the best goalkeeper in the world? No. You can make a fair argument that he wasn't even the best goalkeeper at Sheffield Wednesday last season. He was given his chance and he took it, made some important saves and currently is full of confidence. However, when you ask Sheffield Wednesday fans about him, they'll tell you he's had good times and bad times there. So it wouldn't take much for him to become a bit of a liability. At the end of the day, Wednesday need him to be in top form, not only because they're looking weak at the back, but goalkeepers can go a long way to keeping teams up. Victor Johansson last season at Rotherham, perfect example. He individually won them crucial points, which could be the difference between going down and staying up come the end of the season. Dawson could go a long way to helping them stay up if he has a great season. So that's why, unless they get another goalkeeper who's going to be uh, number one instead of Dawson, he's got to have a really, really good season at Hillsborough. Yeah, had some had some interesting moments last season, um, and he was he was very very good um, once he once he got ahead of Stockdale. But you are right, there is argument to say that Stockdale might have been the better keeper last last year, which I was surprised to see him go. But obviously, he's gone to a new challenge at York City. Um, but yeah, Dawson again, a bit like Rotherham, are going to have to be in in, in tip top form. To he's going to have to be in tip top form to to keep those keep their shots out because they're going to face quite a lot again if Munoz is going to want to play an attacking style of play they're going to concede quite a few chances and if their you know, defence is still as weak as it is or in terms of numbers then yep they're going to concede a fair few chances but in terms of technically proficient players I've gone with Josh Windass Josh Windass for me seems to be the most technically proficient player to suit the style of play that Munoz wants to, to, to deploy and I think he will thrive in it should he should it should it start to tick? I think he was linked with Southampton not too long ago as well, which is an interesting one. Obviously, Russell Martin saw his value, or Southampton saw his value as a as a technical player, and statistically, he was the third best player in League One last season, which surprised me because obviously goals wise, he didn't quite match up to the likes of David McGoldrick or um, uh, Johnson Clark Harris. Um, and as I say, that's, that's purely statistics. And I think as a second striker, he could really thrive behind Michael Smith again under under Munoz. Again, it depends how he wants to play, whether he wants to play an attacking direct or a or a slick passing direct. Uh, sorry, slick passing style uh, style of play. Um, but that was for a team chasing the playoffs or, or promotion um, last season. It did. Will we see the best of Windass this season? Who I think Wednesday, not, I'm not saying they're going to struggle this season, but they're not going to be chasing the playoffs with the squad that they've got. Is he going to be able to thrive in that environment? Maybe, maybe not. But as I say, last season, playoff final, showed that he's the man for the occasion. And he's certainly got the quality to, to pick up. And he's 28, I think. So he's, he's in his peak years. He's in his peak years. He's got to really grasp his opportunity back in the championship. Well, Windass has always been one of those who was constantly linked with other championship sides, even though he wasn't playing particularly mm. well in the championship himself. We haven't really seen the best of Josh Windass at championship level. So I'm quite keen to see how he does next season and whether he can carry on the form that he showed in League One last season because he probably was Wednesday's best player, wasn't he? So that's going to be really interesting to see. Yet without a doubt, he's a key player. And I mean, look, Will Keane's kind of a good example of someone who exceptional in League One, came up to the Championship, was all right, but you could do with him being a bit more than all right if yeah, uh, you need Wednesday that. are going to, you know, do something better than what's expected of him. So, yeah, Windass needs to have a good season without a doubt. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll finish up our roundup of us picking a key player for each Championship side. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We're going through each championship side and picking a key player for them next season. And this is our final six teams. So without further ado, let's kick things off with Southampton. Justin, who have you got? Come with James Ward-Prowse. Uh, it seems an easy one. I think he will stay. I, I will put that out there first. <laughs> Bloody hell. That's a tap in, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is a tap in. I think he will stay. Um, unless a club comes in with an excessive bid for him, I think that will still make him a key player because... 
Southampton will pocket 40, 50 million pounds you, you if they get the removal fee. Do you, just you think James Ward-Prowse is going to be a key <laughs> player, do you? Wow. What <laughs> incredible insight from us on the second tier. Well, it was either him or Charlie Austin. Only joking, only joking. Making fun of What's myself happening? there. Um, and if we ignore set pieces, it's his yeah, ability no, to I'm fit into this. What, what, what are you talking about? Charlie Austin, what does that, what does that mean? I was just making a joke about a pass Southampton player. It was a bad joke. Let it go. Let it go. Can I get on with this, please? Go on. <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Yeah, ignoring set pieces because he's clearly very good at those. Um, for me, he's, he's, he's going to be... Well, he's going to have to transition to a different style of play, to a different role in this midfield for, for, for Russell Martin. He's got all the physical attributes, impressively, to thrive in a high-pressing system. Interesting to see how he fits into Russell Martin's function of it. Uh, but yeah, as I say, it, 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 there's a lot of intrigue with how he fits into Russell Martin's system. It's simple as that. I don't think he's going to be the next Xavi by any means. But as far as an engine room goes, he's going to keep possession ticking over because he's not he's not an amazing passer. He, he's not an amazing at winning the ball back. But I think he can really thrive in the championship, coming down in the championship and setting up into this uh, progressive possession style system that Martin's going to be deploying. And he's a threat from distance as well, so he's going to he's going to pick up some goals. But for me, his, his role is very much a water carry in that midfield. Is going to be really important into allowing the technical players to thrive. Um, now he does have a lot of technical qualities himself, and I would be surprised if he doesn't hit eight or nine assists come the end of the season. But as far as but as far as yeah, running teams into the ground, Ward Prowse is is, is is going to be key in that uh, in that Southampton midfield. Yeah, you look at. Well, just the idea of James Ward-Prowse playing in a Russell Martin system is a bit mouth-watering, isn't it? Because he could be fantastic in that kind of system. Um, and of course, he's going to be one of the most technically gifted players in the Championship next season if he stays, which I agree with you, Justin. I mean, you, some of the other ones in the last episode where you were saying, oh, I think he's going to stay. I was a bit like, you sure about that, mate? Mm. But... Ward-Prowse, I think it's looking increasingly likely that he will stay just because, I mean, he, he was clapping Southampton fans and seemingly saying goodbye at the end of their last Premier League game. Now, I'm not really seeing much in the way of interest. So I, I think he probably will be there next season mm. as things stand. And that's going to be a huge boost for them because, I mean, he, he could score a lot of goals, could create a lot of goals as well. Um, speaking of which, I've gone for Nathan Teller of Southampton. Now, you look at Southampton's squad and there's undoubtedly a lot of quality coming down with them. However, their best player could potentially be someone who wasn't getting relegated last season. He, he was too busy being one of the most outstanding performers at the side who won the championship. Nathan Teller was unbelievable last season. Burnley's top goal scorer with astonishing finesse a quarter of his shots resulted in a goal and he scored 17 from an xg of 10 this man found his goal scoring touch which must have been quite the surprise to southampton fans who had only seen him score twice in uh, two seasons uh, in a red and white shirt if they get nathan teller playing like how he did last season southampton fans will be asking themselves why on earth did we let this guy go out on loan in fact they may have been asking that already, um, considering how they did last season. So, look, Burley wanted him back. They've reportedly tried to get him, but Southampton have held firm and said no. So much so that Burnley have seemingly given up on him. So it's a big statement of intent from Southampton. And given the right service, maybe with the likes of James Ward-Prowse, he could score a lot of goals again next season and may even be a shout for tops goal scorer in the whole division. It's got a lot of headers as well, which is interesting. It just means, whilst he's not a physically dominant player, he, he arrives in the in the box at the right time as well for those for those headers. Really, really good player. And again, I think a player is quite undervalued last season. He was so so good for Burnley and really effective at getting in in those good positions. And his finishing was incredible, as you pointed out with the with the overperformance on the XG. So, yeah, he's a player I'm looking forward to seeing how he fits into this Russell Martin system because again, quite a lot of these players are yeah they've got a lot of potential under it. Yep, definitely. Let's go to Stoke City next. I've gone for Ben Wilmot. Now, I will stand on the rooftops and shout it out for the whole world to hear. Ben Wilmot is one of the most underrated players in the whole of the championship. Stoke was shite last season. <laughs> Let's not get away from that. There weren't many players there you could look at and say they've had a good season. 
Ben Wilmot was quite easily their best player in my eyes. I don't necessarily have massive expectations for Stoke again next season, but a player who will be key to any success, you know, it will be him. If they're going to have any success, it will be down to players like him. That's particularly the case when, at the time of recording, Stoke are quite thin on the ground when it comes to defenders, so he needs to have another really good season. He's great defensively, reading the game, he's quick, brave, his passing and carrying the ball forwards is amazing. Some of the best in the, in the division for me. Maybe not the best in the air, but, you know, no one's perfect. He's very consistent as well, and at 23, he's got plenty of growing room as a player to make himself even more important to Stoke. So I thought he was amazing next uh, last season and next season he could be even more so. Yeah, one of the best defenders in terms of progressing the ball out from the back as well. He's really comfortable on the ball and I think that sort of attribute there for Stoke is going to be really important for him, even though Alex Neal doesn't prefer to play that, that, that way. But when you've got a player of that composure, it always, always helps. Yeah, he's a player I'm looking forward to seeing develop next season. I do think people are coming around to the qualities he's had, that he has as well and recognising it from outside of Stoke in the Championship. So we'll just see if that that like stays on him because um, I think he can be a really good player. I, I've gone with Tyrese Campbell. Now, Tyrese Campbell, since his ACL injury, just hasn't been the same Tyrese Campbell that burst onto the scene under Michael O'Neill. That being said, he still managed 14 goal contributions last season, which is a decent number. It's nine goals, five assists. And... I think, as I say, we, we didn't see the best of him. We only saw glimpses of what Tyrese Campbell can bring into the team. But for me, he's the most he's Stoke's most technical player, especially in the final third. And you've got the likes of Jacob Brown, who's a very good goal scorer, or can be a very good goal scorer, Dwight Gale. Um, there's Emre Tegale coming through as well. Tyrese Campbell's the, the one for me that I look at and go, give the ball to your, put the ball into your feet. You're going to do something with it. There aren't many players at Stoke at the moment that, that have that quality. And as I say... He was the most productive player for Stoke last season when it came to receiving the ball in the box. Very weird stat, but that tells you several things for me. He's good at finding space. He's confident in receiving the ball in those areas and he's got the composure to, to take the touch on. It's just about adding that killer instinct back into his game that maybe his dad had. His dad was very good at it. But it's about adding that killer instinct back into his game that he had pre-ACL and getting him back up to speed in that sense. And I think Alex Neal could be the man to unlock it. So although he had a pretty much a full season with him last season, getting that pre-season in with him, Getting those expectations with the, uh, for his role within the team and allowing him to thrive in that environment will will we'll bring him forward. And as I say, I think he's the most technical player in that team. He can be a really, really big asset for Stoke next season. I think he's undoubtedly going to be a big asset for Stoke next season. Justin, you look at their forwards. I mean, Dwight Gale, his confidence has just gone for whatever reason. Jacob Brown, never really been the most prolific of strikers. Tyrese Campbell, he's one of those who... Every so often, you see him do something amazing and go, wow, that is Premier League quality. It's just about making it happen more. And we did see that before his ACL injury two or three seasons ago. If you get out of him on a regular basis, you've got a star there in your ranks already. Um, I mean, he was linked with West Ham, I think, at some point early in the summer. Nothing's obviously come of that. And I be surprised if he's not at Stoke next season um, but without a doubt if you get Tyrese Campbell firing then you've probably got one of the best strikers in the division based off what we saw before it's just he's kind of showed glimpses of that player just not really happened um, so let's move on Sunderland next and it's Patrick Roberts who I've gone for Patrick Roberts really grew into last season he finally started to show signs of the player that a lot of people expected him to be when he was younger. And fair play to Sunderland. They took a chance on him and he's repaid their faith when so many other clubs didn't fancy him. Think about the number of clubs he's been on loan at over the years and just never really got going. And then he's finally found a home at Sunderland and he's really flourishing. He was excellent last season, was one of the stars of Sunderland's amazing form towards the end of last season even when he was being asked to play at full-back and wing-back. But his dribbling chance creation was superb. Even scored a few goals, including that unbelievable last-minute equaliser from the corner of the box. I think it was against uh, Watford. I believe he can be even better this season. And Sunderland will hope that's the case as well with no Ahmad Diallo. He has been linked with a low move back, but right now we'll assume that's not happening. 
Either way, Roberts can definitely build upon his brilliant form from la- from the end of last season and can be one of the most exciting players in the division. Sunderland need him to be, you know, having a great season again as well. Jack Clark might not be staying ditto roster if he ever comes back to fitness. Um, so Patrick Roberts may be carrying a lot of the attacking burden for them next season. And if he continues that form, then it won't be as much of a blow as it could be if the worst case scenario happens. Have you got I'm right, I'm right, sorry, I'm right in saying he's one of the top three dribblers in the league last season as well, wasn't he? I mean, his dribbling's always been class. Hasn't yeah, it? it was just it was just interesting when you when we were you know, putting together team of the season last season. Patrick Roberts' stats were constantly up there. And we, I mean, we overlooked him, but there were better players than him in the league. But just highlights his quality and the potential that he's got. But I've gone with Dan Neal, a player who I think went through the motions last season. Still had a good campaign by all means, but he, he struggled in parts and excelled in parts. So it was really just a, a season of getting used to the rigors of the championship. He's he's, he's there's signs of really good prospect there, and, and it's one that I've said in the past that I think he can be an international player or develop international player. And if we're talking about him improving uh, his, his progressive passes, his choice of passes, his ability to dominate games in that midfield as those deep line playmakers do, then there's a lot more to come from him, and certainly a lot more potential. Think under Tony Mowbray, that that, that potential is going to be unlocked. And if you're going to get the ball into those players like Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts, you need the likes of Dan Neal, who's brave in his choice of passes to get the ball into those areas, into that final third. And you consider as well that he had the likes of Corey Evans, Pierre Equa, Luke O'Nine, Abdullah Bar. They were all midfield partners for him. It was an unsettled you know, midfield partnership for him. He couldn't really, I'd say, get used to it. But he didn't have a consistent there alongside him because of injury. I think having one there alongside him this season, if if, if that's going to be the case, get a settle in there, he can start to thrive once again. He's a, he's a player I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops this season. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed with Dan Neal towards the end of last season. I think he started off well, mm-hmm. but then in the latter half of the season, I think considering Sunderland were playing so well, I think he was probably one of the poorer players in that Sunderland side. So I think he definitely definitely do a lot better. Um, he's definitely got loads of potential and I wouldn't be surprised at some point if he was a Premier League player. But he, he, he could definitely... Yeah. He could definitely play a lot better than he did towards the end of last yeah. season. I think that goes without saying, really. Next up is Swansea City. Justin, who have you got? I've got moved Jerry Yates. Now, I said uh, on mm. our transfer window show that I was a Jerry Yates sceptic. But having looked into his numbers a little bit deeper, as a goal scorer, I think there are better players in the division. And when it comes to being clinical and a natural finisher, there are better players in the division. And maybe Swansea overpaid for him at 2.5 million. Maybe they've got a snip at 2.5 million because... I'm looking at his numbers from a pressing point of view and they they impress me. Um, not, there's no dad joke intended there. When it came to interceptions and blocks, he was one of the best players. And I know they're defensive stats, but when you've got Michael Duff in charge, there's going to be a high-pressing style of play. And Jerry H clearly has those abilities in his locker to, to thrive. It gives you the indication that the signing is certainly from a pressing point of view. And he's got the... He's got the ability to score goals as well. I think that's the key thing. He's hitting double figures for a team relegated last season. Was impressive. I'll be honest with that. Was impressive. And he had a good, a couple of good runs. But it's his qualities off the ball that I think is the reason why Michael Duff and Swansea are forks out. Because you've got to be a fit player to play in this Michael Duff side. We all know that. And he's going to be playing a fast, direct style of football with a press out of possession. We know that. Jerry Ace is going to fit in there like a glove for me. I don't think anyone's denying that Jerry Yates is very good at pressing. Um, I mean, does he offer much else to a team? I've got my doubts. Um, so that, that's why I'm not a huge fan of that particular signing. But yeah, you are right. Michael Duff will want to deploy a high press, high press next season and Jerry Yates will be important to that. Um, if he proves me wrong, I won't be annoyed or anything. Um, but I'm still a bit sceptical about that signing. I've gone for Ben Cabango as Swansea's key player for next season, and a large part of that down a large part of that is down to the fact Swansea was shocking at the back last season. Only four teams conceded more goals than them, and three of them got relegated. Now, maybe part of the reason why they let in so many is because of the now departed manager. I don't think that should completely absolve the players, though, of the blame. I mean, think about where Swansea could have been if they 
conceded 10 fewer goals. Could have been the playoffs considering they finished 10th, couldn't it? So the point I'm getting is the defenders at the club have to do better. I'm looking at someone like Ben Cabango, who's now entering his fifth year as a first choice centre-half at Swansea. He was excellent in the second season they got to the playoffs under Steve Cooper, one of the best defenders in the division. Since then, he's been good, but could be a lot better. Maybe that was down to the manager. If so, he's got a new manager now who's more similar to how Steve Cooper played. And so that should get him back to playing at the same level as before. At least you'd expect so. If it doesn't, then you've got to start pointing fingers at Cabango himself. So let's go, Ben Cabango, and see him have a great season in a Swansea City shirt. I, I like Ben Cabango quite a lot. I've always thought of him as a comfortable ball-playing defender, but as you pointed out, he was very good in that in that term, second playoff season for Swansea. So I think that uh, you know, stripping it back a little bit for him might make him excel even more so as a defender. And there's not going to be a heavy emphasis on putting the ball through the through the back three as it as, as it was under Russell Martin. So yeah, it's, it's a good shout for Ben Cabango. He's an international player as well, which is another thing. Let's go to Watford next. I've gone for an interesting one. I've gone for James Morris as Watford's key player. Now, Watford were really bad at the end of last season. They really stunk out the place. But for me, James Morris was one of the only players to come out of that period with any credit. Got better game by game, always gave 100%, was great defensively, but also at carrying the ball forwards. For a 21-year-old who had barely played a game at senior level, his performances were really good. Now we head into a new season at Watford with a manager who loves wing-backs. Remember how important Callum Styles and Callum Britton were to Valerian Ishmael at Barnsley, how important Darnell Furlong and Connor Townsend were to him at West Brom. James Morris can be the same at Watford. Right now it looks like it's between him and Ken Seema to be the first choice left wing-back. Seema might get bumped up further forwards, but... You know what? As things stand, looking at the current squad, I'd start James Morris next season. Watford fans will say he's got to develop his game, and he has, particularly when it comes to things like his final ball, which, you look at statistically, was really poor last season. However, he's only 21. Under the right coach, he can flourish. And yes, I have been critical of the Ishmael appointment, but he could certainly help players like Morris develop into a really good player because from what I saw last season I think there is a player there he's just a, he needs a bit of polishing to become you know a, a good championship player and maybe even beyond that yeah it's interesting you mentioned his uh his out ball his output with the ball and obviously Callum Styles, Callum Britton was the more advanced player for Barnsley in terms of his out his out ball and Callum Styles was good so it's going to be interesting to see how Ishmael sees that because Ken Sam has definitely got a better out ball. He's definitely got the ability to find himself in better positions, I think, as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how how that progresses. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this team progresses under Ishmael, full stop, to be honest with you. And I think one player who's going to be key to that is Imran Lauter. Um Again, it's a pretty easy one, but actually for me, when you compare his abilities to that of Alex Mowat at Barnsley, they're similar. They play similar roles within the team, i.e. you've got a deep-lying playmaker, left-footed, that helps as well quality on the ball, ability to find the right passes into the final third. Imran Lauz has got that in his locker and he's, he's certainly an upgrade on, on, on Alex Mauer. I'm not saying that they're comparable by any means, but in terms of how their role is going to be in that midfield, Lauz is going to collect the ball from uh, from that back line or pick up the pieces and find find, find teammates with, with, with the right, uh, right weight of pass. I think... I might argue as well that had he not got injured last season when he did, maybe Bilic could have lasted longer because there was a lack of quality in that midfield in terms of playing forwards for Slavin Bilic last season. It's a controversial debate, but it's, it's an interesting interesting, um, interesting question. And I think as well, his, his set-piece delivery is quality. So when you've got three centre-halves and Nation Mills have you know, very he- heavy emphasis on set-pieces as well, it's going to be important. So for me, Imran Lauz is going to be a big player for Watford next season. Yeah, I was just quickly trying to find the stats of how many points per game he won when he actually played compared to when he was out of the team. Because he was out of the team a fair bit, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't find it just then. But it certainly felt like Watford were a lot better aside when he was in the team because they signed him in the Premier League. And I think he 
certainly has the qualities to be a Premier League player. He just didn't really show that too much last season. But that was probably because Watford were pretty shite. Um, let's finish off, Justin, with West Bromwich Albion. Who have you got as their key player? Got with Jed Wallace. I thought he underperformed massively last season. I think I picked him out as one of my picks pre-season as uh, a candidate to win player of the season in Championship. Didn't get anywhere near that level. Still delivered six goals and eight assists, which is okay. But even for Jed Wallace's standards, that's really poor. He's going to want to kick on this season, especially under Carlos Corbrand, pre-season under Carlos Corbrand, and a full season under Carlos Corbrand. I think we can see the best of Jed Wallace. There's so much more to his game and there's so much more to come from him, I think. He's got the potential to be that you know burden, sorry, to, to, to feel that burden of, of creativity for a team as he showed at Watford. I wouldn't rule out double figure goals and assists next season. That should at least that should be a target at the very least. Sorry? You said it could be a key like showing the creation that he showed at Watford. Sorry, Millwall. yeah, Millwall. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, we all know what I meant. Um and I do think double figure goals and assists should be a shooing target for him at the very least next season, as for a player of his ability and now experience, as I sent you a message yesterday saying I was surprised that he's a month younger than us, which is terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like he's been around for a long time, doesn't it? But look, Jed Wallace was fantastic once upon a time at Millwall. Once he one of the best players in the division for multiple seasons, um, and then when he finally got this move to West Brom, you thought he'd kick on, and he was all right last season, Monty. But we've seen West, we've seen Jed Wallace play a lot better, yeah. haven't we? And considering he's in his prime years now, playing with better players, you'd expect him to do a lot better than he did, and didn't really happen. So. With West Brom's squad next, se- squad next season going to be undoubtedly weaker than it was last season, maybe there's more of an onus on him to you know, stand up and play better. We'll have to wait and see. My key player for West Brom is Brandon Thomas Asante. Last season was a similar story with, with West Brom. Of course, they started terribly, had a remarkable rise up the table under Carlos Corbran, but it could have been even better if they managed to put away their bloody chances held them back last season held them back the season before one of the worst offenders for not putting away chances last season was Brandon Thomas Asante he had unexpected goals of 10 and scored seven averaged a goal from every nine shots he had needs to be better it's all well and good scoring the odd bicycle kick or lobbing the goalkeeper from 25 yards out like he did last season but if you're not scoring much simpler chances there's no point in scoring those spectacular goals. So he needs to be better with his scoring. Perhaps he can get the benefit of the doubt because he's been asked to step up from League Two to the Championship. But as things stand for West Brom in terms of strikers, they've got him and Darrell DK who just cannot stay fit. So West Brom can't afford for Thomas Asante to be so sloppy in front of goal once again. Yeah, it's incredible actually. It'd be good to weigh up the XG of those chances uh, lobbing the keeper from from where he did in that bicycle kick compared to the chances he missed. He definitely because, missed a lot easier, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. You are right. I have a bit of scepticism in terms of how I think he can step up next season again. I don't know if he's got the quality to do it. I'd like to be wrong on it because he, he certainly showed moments of quality and again, stepping up from League 2 is, is a big ask, especially for a team pushing with the expectation of pushing for promotion. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued by, by Brandon Thomas Asante. I think there's a lot of ability or a lot of potential to there. It's just whether whether he can he can lock it on at West Brom because we've seen a lot of good players we've seen a lot of good players really struggle which is it which is an interesting one strange one the thing is as well I thought he was a lot younger than he was I think he's 24 so yeah. you can't really even have that excuse of age either so if he's not performing then is he even championship standard this is a season to prove that he is, isn't it? Exactly. Um, let's finish off with the game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where Justin is going to give me three questions of four options. All I have to do is rank them in order from highest to lowest. So, Justin, could you introduce me to the first question, please? You certainly can. Oh, I certainly can. Who has managed the most seasons of championship football? So I'm looking for the God. most accumulative seasons of, of managing in the championship. Paul Jewell, Steve Bruce, Gary Rowett, Chris Hewton. Interesting. Hewton, Bruce, Rowett. Uh, right. Paul Jewell. Sorry, I'm just writing them down at the same time. Now, I think Rowett, I'm going to instantly put top because I think he's just been around for so long now that 
he's got to be up there. So I'll go Rao at top. Hewton or Bruce? Ooh, that's close between those two. I'll go... Hewton. I'll go Hewton. Um, then Bruce. Then Paul Jewell. I might be completely wrong, but I cannot remember Paul Jewell managing many championship seasons unless it was very early on. So you're going Rowett, Bruce, Rowett, Hewton, Bruce, Rowett, Hewton, Bruce, Jewell. You're just off. <sighs> what do I get Just wrong? off. Steve Bruce, Chris Hewton. Oh my god, that was... <laughs> that's so annoying. Gary Rout's got, got eight, Steve Bruce seven, Chris Hewton six, Paul Jewell five. Yeah, I didn't think Paul Jewell had many. I'm surprised he's even got five, to be honest, but that's so annoying about those two. All right, next one. The next one is, this is a strange one. Who has had the naming rights for the EFL the longest? So okay, I like this. The Coca-Cola Championship, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skybet, Coca-Cola, N-Power, or Nationwide. So that had to predate the rebrand in 2004 for that I mean, I was 10 when it got rebranded to, you know, the championship. So I cannot remember how long it was Nationwide for. Um, Skybet, I bet they've been around for a while now. And I think while Coca-Cola is quite a fondly thought of period, I don't think they were actually that long around for that long and i think maybe it was empower for a while or am i getting it completely mixed up i'll go skybet top then nationwide i guess just because I, I just don't know um and then we'll go with empower coca-cola you're just off. No, stop <laughs> saying that, Justin. Just lie and make me feel better about myself. Incredible. The correct order is Skybet, Nationwide, Coca-Cola and Empower. So Skybet have had the naming rights since 2013. Nationwide had it between 1996 and 2004. Coca-Cola 2004, 2010 and Empower 2010 to 2013. That's heartbreaking. That is. Coca-Cola six one. years. Last one. The last one. I apologise, I didn't get the numbers for these, but I know the order. Who has featured in more second-tier playoff campaigns throughout history? Uh, I think the playoffs were, came about in the 80s, so we didn't have to go back that far. Uh, but the teams are Preston, Fulham, Sunderland and Reading. Um, well, anything predating 2004, as we've just established, I'm struggling with. Um, sorry, what were the clubs again? Preston, Reading, Fulham... And Sutherland. Um, just in the championship? Just second tier playoff campaigns, yeah. Cool. So I think, for some reason I'm thinking Sunderland have, must have had a few. Um, because I think they had quite a few between the old um, pre-dating 2004 period. Um, Preston... Seem to be in the playoffs all the time in the mid two thousands, um, but I don't think I've had anything since then. So I'm going to go Reading. How many have Reading had? Right, I'll go Sunderland top, then Reading, Fulham, Preston. So Sunderland, Reading, Fulham, Preston. Yeah. That is a car crash. Awful. Completely wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, Reading at top, then Preston, then Sunderland, then Fulham. So I think Sunderland have had something like five. Fulham was three. Preston, they were heavily involved. I think they had three playoff campaigns into 2010s, for example. If it was from 2004 onwards, then, yeah, this would be a lot easier. But just I just don't know But before 2004. The research was a lot to do doing it that way. I could have done it and it make a good question in a couple of weeks' time. So maybe I will bring it back again for that. Thank you. So no look for me today on Scott High or Ryan Low. My look was really out on Scott High or Ryan Low this week. Uh, but there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Second Tier Podcast and it's time, ladies and gentlemen, to get yourselves ready for the new season because it's not far away now. And that means it's time for just an eye to put our necks on the line. 
and make some predictions. So our next episode on Thursday will be our pre-season predictions. That's not where we reveal who we think is going up or down. That's where we have a stab at things like top goal scorer, player of the season, dark horse, biggest achiever, underachiever, sorry. It's a biggie, ladies and gentlemen. So make sure you get ready for that on Thursday. And then it's it's the big one. My favourite bunch of episodes of each season, actually, are league table predictions. They're coming in a week's time, ladies and gentlemen. Time to get excited because the new season is nearly upon us. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.